Last week and this past couple of weeks, we've been talking about uh, relationships. Hold up, wait a minute. Remember how many, how many, who's been with us and heard the messages? And uh, last week was really cool because last week, last week was a burn your junk night. And uh, how many was here for that? Burning the stuff. Hey, can I just be honest with you? I stood outside watching as this stuff took place. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. When stuff was being, blo- I don't know what y'all threw in that fire, but then when it hit the flames, there was explosions of lights and sparks and sounds. And But when I went out the next morning, every bit of it was reduced to a pile of ash. There was nothing left. There were shoes that were thrown. I saw sweaters and clothing. I saw picture frames. The glass was exploding. There was nothing left but ash. Amen. And the reason I talk about that tonight is because what you actually did, whether you know it or not, is for the first time and the last time, you took that situation and you put it under the blood of Christ. You took that and you put it under the blood. Now, before I get into my sermon tonight, I want you to understand that we live in a time and a place as a youth ministry, but as a generation, that where in the Old Testament, the blood of the bull and the goat and the lamb, it merely covered the sacrifice. It merely covered the failure of man. Just covered it. But we now are under a new covenant. We now are under a relationship with Jesus Christ. And because of Jesus Christ, the blood of Christ, not only has our sin been covered, but has been washed away. There is no evidence left of what you did in the eyes of God. When I went through that trash and I saw those piles, there was nothing, there was no evidence left of what was and now what is. There was nothing left. And that, my friends, is what the blood does for you and I. It it brings us to a place where all of our past can be washed away so that when you stand before God, though man may look at you and may say, but you did this this, 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 and this. But the reality of it is when God looks at you, he says, I don't remember what you did. There was a story of a priest and there was a young child in the town and the story was that the young child kept telling his mother that God is talking to me. And the priest got rather upset about this. The parents got upset about this. So the priest went, called the mother, said, bring the child to me. (coughs) Brought the child. He set the child down. He said, now, you say that God is talking to you, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and talk to God, and you ask him this question. What was the last thing that I could just, well, because I was just in confession, what was the last thing I confessed to him? If you say that God and you are talking, then I want you to ask him, what was the last thing that I confessed to him? So the child said, okay. So the priest took the child, put him in a room, or, or put her in a room and went away. Came back an hour or two hours later. Pulled a little, fully expecting that this little girl was going to falter. Pulled her out. Mother was standing there. Everybody's standing there. Looks at the little girl and says, so, did you talk to God? And he, she said, yes, sir. And he said, well, then, did you ask him what I told you to ask him? Yes, sir. What did I ask you to ask him? You asked me to ask him what was the last thing that you confessed. 
That's right. And what did he say? She said, he doesn't remember. You have to keep in mind, when I confess something to Jesus Christ, when I confess something to the Lord, the Bible says that he forgives you and keeps no record of it. He buries your sin as far as the east is from the west. The word of God declares that it's thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. Amen. Tonight I want to talk to you about the blood. I want to talk to you about the blood of Jesus Christ because there are seven things that I want to talk to you tonight that the blood does for you. So I hope you brought a pad and a paper something to write something down on because I want you to be able to walk away tonight with a full understanding of exactly what he did for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your blood. We thank you for your word. We thank you that Jesus' blood has never failed me. Lord, I thank you, God, though I have failed time and time again. Lord, your blood, your word, your spirit, your, 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 your you, you have never failed me, not once. And Lord, I thank you for it. We praise you. We honor you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Years and years ago, there was a group of missionaries that had gone down to Papua New Guinea. And they wanted to share the, Lord, the Lord's Supper, communion. So the missionaries invited some other missionaries. And they invited some of the village people to come in and, and have lunch and, and then have share communion. So they brought them in, and, and, and as they came in, another young man came down, came in, and he sat down next to one of the, the local boys that was there. And he noticed that the, that the local boy, the moment this other man sat down, he noticed that immediately the young man was immediately unsettled immediately unsettled he knew he something was wrong so they went through communion they shared communion afterwards the missionary went up to the young boy and he whispered in his ear he said I noticed earlier when that man sat down next to you I noticed that uh that you were a little uneasy what happened he said well he said that man that walked in had just murdered and eaten the body of my father but, and he goes, and when he sat down next to me, I didn't really know what to do, but it's okay now. And the missionary said, what do you mean it's okay now? He said, yeah. He said, because he shared in communion with me, so I know that the same precious blood that washed my sins away washed his away, and now he's a brother. Some of you that's still sinking in a little bit. See, the blood of Jesus when applied to my life, begins to do some things in my life. When I apply the blood of Jesus to my life, the very memory and evidence of my sin is washed away. It brings me to a place where I am no longer who I used to be because the blood no longer just covers, it now washes away. The Bible says in Leviticus 17 and verse 14, it says that the life of any creature is found in the blood. You know, there's two elements of your life that you cannot live without. One of them is your heart, right? If I come and take your brain out of your head, how many know you're still going to live? We see people walk around all the time, no brain. Sometimes I wonder about some of the people that come around me. Did you forget your brain at home today? How many know what I'm talking about? Some of y'all don't raise your hand and be like, because he forgot your brain tonight. But if I take the heart out of your chest, you cease to exist. 
Why? Because the heart is the very life source of the human body. Yes? But the heart, its purpose is to do something. Does anybody know what its purpose is to do? Pump what? So if I now leave the heart in your chest, but I remove the blood out of your body, what happens? You're done, kid. You're a prune on the inside. Amen? And a dried apricot on the out, outside. You ever notice dried apricots look like little ears, like what you would imagine? Like when I, I don't know what I'm talking about, like for those dried, and how many have ever had a dried apricot before? Those little orange, like when you feel them, like in my, <laughs> when I feel them, it just reminds me what somebody's severed ear might feel like. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jesus, I'm going to ask Jesus what Malchus, what his ear felt like when he picked it up off the ground and put it back on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring a prune with me and be like, feel this. <laughs> Do they feel the same? You know what I mean? Because it, it just, oh, whatever. Anyway. Okay. Everybody say this to me. Say, the blood, blood. of Jesus, Jesus has never failed me. Amen. You know, the Bible talks about we are a royal priesthood. Amen. We have royal blood now flowing through our veins. You know, if they cut you open, they can't tell where Jesus begins and where you end. That's how close you are to him. But there's a reason why. And there are eight reasons I want to give, or seven reasons tonight I want to give you as to why the blood is so powerful and so important in your life. Are you ready? Are you sure you're ready? All right, here we go. First one, number one. The Bible says that the blood cleanses you. Cleanses you. The Bible says, though your sins were as scarlet, they shall be made white as snow, as wool, as snow, either way. It doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't make sense that if I was to go into a house with white walls and take red paint and throw them on the wall, you would think differently, wouldn't you? You wouldn't think that this is a cleansing agent, that the blood, when it comes, it washes away. You would think it stains. It doesn't. It washes away. It, it removes all of the guilty stain. There's a song that says that there, there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's vein and sinners plunge beneath its flood and lose all their guilty stain. Amen. There's life found in this cleansing agent, in this cleansing blood. Martin Luther, who's ever heard of Martin Luther? Martin Luther had, no, not that Martin Luther. <laughs> wow. Who was that, Timmy? Great job, bud. Go back to school, buddy. Martin Luther, the Reformation, Martin Luther. The, do you know why Martin Luther got mad? Some people don't like, I like Martin Luther. Martin Luther had gall, boy. He did, he did, he was training to be a priest. He goes, and I'm really cutting a lot out, but he goes basically, what is it, Rome, or not Rome, uh, uh, where did he go? You know, Gutenberg, to, to basically pay penance for somebody else's sin. He gets there and he sees all these people crawling on, paying money for, to get people out of purgatory. Because what was going on was Rome wanted to build a basilica. They wanted to build a big old church, and they couldn't afford it. So they thought, well, here's what we'll do. We will sell indulgences. In other words, we will tell the people that if they've had anybody that has died that they think has basically gone to purgatory or hell, if they will pay money and come and pay homage, then by the time they've done paid their homage, that person will be released from hell. Sounds pretty intelligent, doesn't it? 
So that's what they did. So the long and short of it, Luther got really, really, really upset about that. So the long and short of it, Martin Luther becomes a Reformation. He absolutely writes out 95 reasons that he is so against this, all from the Word of God, goes up to the main church, and he nailed it to the door. He didn't just, like, deliver it with, like, smiley faces and, like, a little heart on the envelope. You know what I'm saying? He didn't spray a little cologne or, or anything on there. You know what I'm saying? He nailed it to the door. I mean, that's like when you don't agree with somebody walking up and like taking some masking tape or duct tape put and just slapping it on their forehead so they know for sure it was you that did it. Amen? I like Martin Luther. Kind of reminds me of another guy named John Hancock. John Hancock, when he signed the Declaration of Independence, how many people signed? Does anybody know? 55, great answer. 55 men signed the Declaration of Independence, but he, he signed his name extra big. Do you know why? Does anybody know why he did it? Because he didn't want the king to have to put on his spectacles to read his name. In other words, he wanted to be able to stand up and be counted. He wanted the king to know for sure, for sure, for sure. If he can't read any other name on this document, he's going to read mine. We must decide what we're going to stand for. Amen? But I'm going to tell you right now, there is no possible way for us to make that stand without the blood. Because without the blood, you do it in your own power. Amen? Now, so Martin Luther has a dream. Now, in the dream, he finds himself being attacked by Satan. The devil begins to unroll this large scroll that had all of his sins written down on it. When he reached the end of one scroll, <laughs> Luther looked at the devil and said, is that all? So he says, no, came the reply, and a second scroll was thrust in front of him. After the second, a third, and then a fourth. But Luther said, you've forgotten something. You have forgotten something. And this is what he said to the devil. Since you've gone ahead and you've rolled them all out quickly, grab a pen, and on each scroll write, the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, cleansed me from all of these sins. In other words, he said, every one of my sins, go ahead and write the name of Jesus over every single one of them. I remember a story of a young man who had another dream, and he woke, he found himself in a room, and in this room, there was all of these different, uh, almost like drawers, like a library, like you would find library cards in, you know, and, and, and he's looking at all these walls, and they all have the, like, uh, letters on them, and, and, and so he goes, and, and, and then he starts seeing last names written on them, so he finds his last name, and he pulls out the drawer, and when he pulls out the drawer, there's index cards, and on the index cards are all the sins, all the mistakes, his whole life he had ever ever made even the ones that he had forgotten and he quickly shut the drawer and he started looking around because he didn't want anybody else to see them and so he shut it but then he slowly opened it up again when suddenly he heard somebody walk in the room and he shut the drawer quickly because he didn't want anybody else to see it when he looked he noticed that the person who had just walked in there was Jesus immediately fear gripped him because he knew what was in that drawer and Jesus was walking straight for him and he did not want Jesus to see all of the sins that he had committed he did not want him to see what was written on those cards Jesus kept walking for him and he kept trying to think of excuses to try to get his attention to make him go another way but Jesus walked right up to him didn't even pay attention to him just looked at him and smiled and he grabbed the young man's hand and he pushed it away from the drawer and he pulled out the drawer. 
By this time, man, this young man was freaking out because he knew, oh my God, if he sees what I've done, there's no way I'm going to heaven. But Jesus took the cards and he began to look through them. And in the dream, he says the look on Jesus' face was one of absolute and utter almost disappointment. Love, just, he couldn't really explain it. But he said, but something happened that he cannot explain. He said, Jesus then took a pen or his finger, I can't remember what he said. And he took the cards and he began to sign his name to every card. You have to understand the decisions that we've made and the sins that we've made, though somebody keeps a record of them, Jesus has signed his name to them. He has cleansed you. He has cleansed those sins. He has cleansed you. Amen? He has cleansed you. We've been, the Bible says that they've been set free by the blood of the Lamb in the word of your testimony. He cleanses you. Number two, the blood of Jesus sanctifies you. In other words, after he cleans you up, amen, he then sets you aside for his use. After he cleans you up, because he didn't just stop with cleansing you of your sin, but he actually cleans you up. Have you ever seen those shows where they get some random person who looks like they've, you know, been living under a rock and they take them and they cut their hair and they do their makeup and you all know what I'm talking about. I think one of the shows was called What Not to Wear or something like that. And it is amazing, honestly, when you see the results of some of these people. You're like, whoa! <laughs> I, I, this one time, there was this girl I went to high school with and she was a pretty girl. And, and, but one time I saw her without her makeup and I was like, wow. And it was right then that I was reminded how thankful I am for the blood of Jesus because I know how bad I looked without the blood and how good I look with the blood. Amen. Uh, anyway, um, it was a joke, guys, but it's the truth. Amen. But after he's cleansed us, he's cleaning us up. Philippians 1 6 says, You know, we can be confident in this very thing that he who has begun a good work and you shall complete that work. You have to understand that. See, the, Peter told us that before the foundations of the world, he was the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world, he was a ransom. He was to be a ransom for all of mankind's sin. And so, but you have to understand, he has saved you to use you. Everybody say that with me. Say, he has saved me to use me. You and I, as the word says over in Hebrews, take, turn your Bibles, go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of things to come, can never with these same sacrifices, which, with, which, I'm sorry, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is still a reminder of sins every year. Right? Because, see, if the blood simply is just put over something just to cover it up, that stuff, there's still evidence, right? 
See, in the Old Testament, when the, the one day a year that the priest could come into the tabernacle and he'd come into the Holy of Holies to where the, the presence of the Lord was and there was the Ark of the Covenant, he would take the blood of the sacrifice and he would pour it over the mercy seat. Now, inside the tabernacle, inside the Ark of the Covenant, there were three things. Does anybody know what there was inside the Ark of the Covenant? Three things. For, all right, say this with me. Say the first thing, Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were in there. Why were the Ten Commandments? Well, because, see, these people had spent 400 years living in a polytheistic uh, situation where there were many, many gods, many, many laws. So God had to establish the fact that he was one God, that they were to have one God, and that he was to be their God, and he and they were to be his people. The laws were written because without them, they were running all over the place doing whatever the heck they wanted to do. The laws were written not so the people had to keep them but it would keep them coming back to God because they knew that without him they could not keep up with what God had asked them to do but that was the Old Testament and the blood simply covered over them it did not wash them away because the next year they they had to come back they had to pour the blood again also inside there was Aaron's rod Aaron's rod was there because again the people they didn't want to listen you know they had chosen Aaron and his sons to be the priests and you know old you know you know noble he wanted to be a priest and and so did William you know what I'm saying and and, and Mitch they all wanted to be priests and they said well I cannot be a priest you know what I'm saying I can grow my hair out really cool and a long beard and you know have cool hair and all that jazz and wear a whatever that thing is we I can do all of that so God said, i tell you what I'll do. He said, each one of you, Noble, William, and Mitch, and Aaron, grab your rod, bring it in, put it down before the tabernacle, before the presence of God, and when you come back in the morning, the one that has butted, that's the one. Whoever owns that staff, that's the one that I have chosen to be a priest. So the next morning, Mitch, Noble, William, and Aaron Go to check out the rods. Whose rod butted? Aaron. The very one God had chosen. Listen to me. When the blood of Jesus comes, it cleanses you and then it sanctifies you and sets you apart to be used. No matter what anybody else says about you, no matter what they want, God has chosen you. The third thing that was in there was the pot of manna. Again, this was the people complaining in the desert. Why? I have no idea because for 40 years, not one was sick and feeble, not one pair of shoes was worn out, and not one pair of clothing was. For 40 years, God sustained them supernaturally with Chick-fil-A. Somebody says, what are you talking about? It says that he provided manna, bread, and he provided quail, bird, chicken. Chick-fil-A was the first fast food restaurant. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> anyway, guys, again, now listen to me. Some of you, the visitors are like, this guy is a nut. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 4 says, It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats can take away sin. It's not even possible. It was not 
possible. It says, therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins you have no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I've come in the volume of the book that is written to me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I've come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ once and for all. Jesus prayed. He said, sanctify them, set them apart by thy truth. Thy word is truth. Amen. Who's ever played Red Rover? Red Rover, Red Rover, send Philip right over, amen? Chosen, you've been chosen, amen? You have been chosen, you've been sanctified, set aside for the master's use, amen? Amen. Number three, are you ready for this? He redeems us. The blood of Jesus Christ redeems. It redeems us. The word says that we were once a slave to the enemy, a slave to sin, but Jesus bought you back. Jesus bought you back. You were once far off, the book of Ephesians says, in verse 2, or chapter 2 and verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, who you were, who were once far off, have now been made near because of the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood, you've been reconciled. You've been reconciled. You know, over in the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, the word of the Lord says that God reconciled the world back to himself by Jesus Christ. And now you and I have been given the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, somebody came along to your jail cell Back in the day, if you owed a debt, there was a prison called debtor's prison. And there would be a document that would be drawn up that would have the amount of money or whatever it is that you owed. You would be put into prison until that debt was paid. When your debt was paid, they would take that document and they would write these words, paid in Full. That document would be your proof that you are free. You and I were dead in sin. You and I were in a prison cell with a debt we could not pay. Jesus Christ came along, gave himself, unlocked the door, went in the jail cell, gave you the keys to the lock, pushed you out, and said, by the way, that key will unlock every other prison door and then shut himself inside the, the prison for you. There was a youth pastor who used to drive a bus in the inner city. He'd pick up students and he would take them to, you know, to church and so on and so forth. He was in seminary school. And this group of rowdy teenagers, as teenagers can be, got on the bus one day, and they had caused a lot of problems, were kicking people out of their seats, doing all of these things. They were stealing from people, and he witnessed it. 
one day he got so fed up with it, he let them get on the bus when he saw a police officer, he stopped the bus, went to the police officer, and reported every single one of them. They, in turn, beat him up. As soon as the police officer left, they beat him up. Because he was beaten up, they were all arrested. He got so convicted that he had not shared the gospel with these guys. That he went, this is a true story, he went to the court, went to the judge, and pleaded with all of them there, please let me go. Please let me go to, to jail for them. Please let me go. Let them go free. Let me go. Of course, the judge absolutely denied it. But the point I'm trying to make is you were given a death sentence. You were headed for the electric chair. You were going to be hanged, Whatever. And right before the sentence was to be carried out, Jesus came, and he took the seat for you. He took the noose for you. He took the electric chair for you. He took the bullet for you. The Bible says no greater love than this than a friend that would lay down his life. I have a lot of friends, but I don't know how many of them would lay their life down for me. But I have one who says the word of God says he sticks closer than a brother. Amen. If it was worth it, him dying, if, if you were the only one he died for, it was worth it to him. Amen? He redeemed you. He bought you back. He bought you back. You had been sold downriver. You had been sold into slavery. But he bought you back. Amen? But he's using you now. See, you have the ministry of reconciliation. This is what we're doing as soul winners. We are going out and unlocking prison cells. We are going back and unlocking the doors. We are going back and we are setting the captive free. He has redeemed you. Number four, he has reconciled you. Everybody say reconciled you. Did I already say reconcile? Uh, he has redeemed you. <laughs> I already said that one, didn't I? Well, you know what had happened? What had happened was, number three is you were redeemed. Number four, you were reconciled. I did them together. You were reconciled. I'll give an example of reconciliation. Are you ready? There was a Spanish man, a father. He and his son... Uh, had become estranged. They had had a fight, if you will. The son had uh, run away. He had moved out of the house. He had gone somewhere else. The father was completely destroyed by this and took off in a, uh, an adventure to find him. He searched for months, months and months and months. He could not find him. So finally he had an idea, and this was a totally desperate idea. He went to the Madrid newspaper, and he put an ad in the newspaper. This is what he said. He said, Dear Paco, because his son's name was Paco, meet me in the front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. That's what he said. At noon on Saturday, he went down to the newspaper. There were 800 Pacos that showed up all looking for forgiveness from their father. Listen to me. People are looking to be accepted back. Many people walk around hurting because they want a father. They want 
they want redemption. They want reconciliation. They want the wrongs to be made right. Are you hearing me tonight? The blood of Jesus cleanses you, sanctifies you, redeems you. It has reconciled you. It has brought you back. Reconciled means to be brought back into relationship with Jesus Christ. You've been brought back, reconciled, brought back. Good scripture, like I said, for that is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, or chapter 5, verses 17 on. Number five. Not only does it cleanse you, not only does it sanctify you and redeem you and reconcile you, but it also purifies you. It purifies. In other words, it washes away all of the stains, all of the dirt. There is no evidence of your past. You know, when growing up in the Boy Scouts and, you know, my dad was my Boy Scout leader, you know what I'm saying? We would go hiking and, and all of that. I always thought one of the coolest things was to be able to go to a river and get water and put these little purification tablets in the water, you know what I'm talking about, to clean it up so I could drink it. Now, Brother Don, yeah, he, he, he sells water softeners and, and all to clean up the water that we drink, right? By the way, does anybody in this room drink Zephyr Hills water? Have you ever seen the, anything on the aquifers that Zephyr Hills draws their water from? By the way, yeah, here's just a great example. Here's, this is a great example. Zephyr Hills is a very well-known water supplier. Very well-known. But the truth is their water is not clear. They have to add something to the water to make it clear. Why? Because of impurities. Listen to me. How many have ever met a person that when they were born again, it was a process of getting them cleaned up? How many know what I'm talking about? How many ever seen somebody that's been sprayed by a skunk before? It is a process of getting that stench off of them. Amen? But the reality of it is, is that you and I, because of the blood of Jesus, he has come along and he has purified you. He has come along and he has removed all of the stench. He has removed all of the evidence. He has removed everything that is a, a proof of who you used to be. Isn't that some good news? Because the reality of it is, how many know we all have a pretty dirty past? Some of us. And if it had not been for the blood of Jesus, then you'd have been nothing but an old barn with a fresh coat of paint. But when Jesus came along, he destroyed the old barn and built a new one in its place. And he colored it bright red. Amen? Evidence that you belong to him. Hallelujah. You have been purified. There was a man, he's a psychiatrist. His name is, uh, name is Carl. Carl Menninger. That's his very well-known psychiatrist. And this is his exact quote. I love this. He said, if he could convince patients in his psychiatric hospitals that their sins were forgiven, he said 75% of them would walk out the next day. P 
part of our problem with not realizing and believing that we have been purified is because your brain is still too attached to your past. You must begin to get into the word and know what God says about you. You've been given living water, living bread from heaven. You've been given the word of God, the key to unlock your destiny, the key to shut the door on your past, the key to defeat the devil, the key to heal you, set you free, deliver you, light you on fire, and use you to set other people free. God says, I hold my word above my own name. You have been given his name. You have been purified. Paul did not even remember who that man was. He said, I, I don't even know who that man used to be because I'm not him anymore. Matter of fact, he said when the, when the Sanhedrin came to him and said, they, see, he started to tell his testimony. And they wanted to smack him in the face and call him a liar. He said because they, they said, we know this man. He, he used to kill all the Christians. And, and Paul said, I don't know who they're talking about. He said, I, I know they're was a man like that, but I'm not him anymore. He says, as a matter of fact, Jesus took what I used to do and he counted me faithful and put me into the ministry because what I did, even though I was a blasphemer and a murderer, I did it in ignorance and unbelief. But now, because of what God did for me, he's using me to set the captive free. You have been purified for a reason. Why? Because you cannot could get you cannot make somebody else pure. Listen, <laughs> how many of you, if somebody came to you all thirsty and like, I need some water, would go out and get them a fresh glass of water, but before giving it to them, would go get the pipe that's attached to the between the toilet and the septic tank and bring it inside and put it in that glass and say, here, drink it now. Would anybody do that? No, of course you wouldn't. The word comes, the blood comes to purify you so that what comes out of you is pure. Junk in, junk out. Pure in, pure out. We must continue, amen? Purifies you, washes away, number five. Number six, it protects you. It protects you. The blood of Jesus Christ protects you. The blood over us scares the enemy. He is familiar with that blood. He is familiar with that. See, the Word of God declares that for this reason... The Son of God was manifest that he may destroy the works of the enemy. Pleading the blood of Jesus scares the enemy and gets us through the rough times. Look at the children of Israel. They had been slaves to Egypt. When the night of their departure came, do you know what distinguished them from the enemy? It was blood. They were to take the blood and they were to put it on the doorposts and on the top and on the threshold so that when the spirit of death came through that camp, it would see the blood and would recognize that blood, that spirit would know they are protected. See, the blood serves and acts as a line in the sand 
Well, the enemy can come as close as he can, but he cannot cross that line. We need to begin to learn how to plead the blood of Jesus over ourselves, our loved ones, our homes, everything you have. Why? Because when the enemy comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, he sees the blood and he knows I can't come any closer. I was at lunch with my wife on her birthday this past Sunday. Went to a restaurant. Parked my car, went inside. Sorry, I parked my, just so you understand this, because it was not even my car. It was my mother and father's car. They're on a cruise, so I've been driving their car. Park the car, go in to eat. I come outside, I get in the car. I look over to my right, and there's a police officer. And he's standing there with a family and by their vehicle. And I noticed he's like doing something on the door, and I couldn't see what it was until he moved out of the way. He was fingerprinting. I didn't know what he was doing. As I pulled out of the parking lot, this car was parked a car length from me, broad daylight, middle of the, right in front of the restaurant. I pulled off, and I saw why the cop was there. Somebody had come along and busted out all the glass on one side and just ripped everything out of that car. So he says, what does that have to do with anything? Why didn't they break into my car? I was parked, same place they were. Why didn't they touch my car? The blood of Jesus. A couple of number, or a number of months ago in the middle of the night, we were woken up to the sound of helicopters. We were. Look out the window. There's SWAT team running by my, stop laughing. SWAT team running by my window. Dogs, helicopters, cop cars everywhere. Y'all are laughing. Don't laugh at me. So I, you know, I get my, my, my big boy game on, you know what I'm saying? I walk outside. We all do it. No, I'm just, I didn't do that. I just kidding. Someone was like, yeah, right, you'd have gotten shot. <laughs> I walked outside, and the deputy saw me come out. So he said, get back in the house. I was like, yes, sir. <laughs> come to find out what had happened was that, now check this out. We have full-time security on our property. <laughs> Lord Jesus. Anyway. Just, but listen, I'm going somewhere with this. Listen. We had found out that a, a guy had been stopped by the security. When the security stopped him, the guy took off running. So the guy takes off running after him. Well, the guy runs into the unit right next to mine. Knocks on the, the guy that was running, not the officer, the other guy. Knocks on the door. When the person opened the door to see who it was, he pushed the door open, and forced his way into the house. That's a forced entry right there, boys and girls. And that's why the SWAT team was there. Was it my house? Why was it in my house? Because I have a big dog. No, because, <laughs> because of the blood of Jesus. I had drug dealers living downstairs, didn't even know it, dealing in and out of my place all the time. 
My next door neighbor underneath, she was broken into. The guy next to me, they, so I came home one night, and I could tell somebody had been trying to break the door handle off the door. My place, never been touched. Why? The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus will protect you. When I was in high school, I was following a friend, going to their house after, after something, a football game, I think it was, one night. Driving around a corner, it was raining, lost control of my car. It started spinning in the middle. And you have to understand, it was a curve, and there was an embankment off the side and a brick wall on this side. I started screaming out the name of Jesus. The car comes to a stop. Kissing the brick wall. No damage to my car. Why? The blood of Jesus. It will protect you. When the enemy comes in like a flood, God says, I'll raise up a standard for you. What is a standard? A standard is the seal. The seal of what? It's the seal of God. This one belongs. In, in England, you know when the queen is in her home, because of the standard that is flying above her home. See, we have a standard. It's the blood of Jesus. Amen? It's the Holy Spirit. That even when I'm just going about my daily life, the blood's still working for me. I'm always covered by the blood. Amen? Always covered by the blood. But I must keep myself under the blood. Amen? Don't take it for granted. The Bible says if you sin willfully after receiving knowledge of the truth, there's no longer sacrifice for your sin. I have to tell you that. Somebody just swallowed hard. Does that mean God cannot forgive you? No, it's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is don't take it for granted. Talk is cheap. Amen? We've met people, you've met people who will say anything to get what they want. And the moment they get it, they go right back to doing what they always did before. In other words, Cody, if I took this microphone and I smacked you on your striped head and then I said, I'm sorry, you would probably forgive me the first time. If I did it the second time on this side of your head, I'm sorry. You probably would forgive me because that's who you are. But if I kept doing this and every time I did it saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Eventually, you're going to know I don't mean it. Come on. You're going to know I don't mean it. Do you think God does not know the difference between somebody who means it and someone who doesn't mean it? We cannot make it a lifestyle of sinning, repenting, sinning, repenting, sinning, repenting. Yes, you're going to make mistakes. And yes, you repent. The word, the word of God declares to us in 3 John, if you confess your sin, he will forgive you and he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But repent means to turn around 180 degrees and go the opposite direction. And then ask the Holy Spirit to help you to never go back there again. The word of the Lord declares that as a, fool, as a dog returns to its vomit, so does a fool to its folly. We make the blood to no effect when we take it for granted. Amen? You step outside of the protection in the will of God when you begin to take your life in your own hands and do things you know are outside of the will of God. Amen? You cannot do that. This is why it's important even the associations you hook yourself up with. Friends are like escalators. Some take you up. 
Some take you down. 1 Corinthians 15, says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good moral. Amen? It's not the opposite way around. More than likely, you're not going to be, the, there's no missionary friendships. Amen? I'm not, I'm not against you being a friend with a sinner. Amen? But they're not your best friend. They're not your, your soulmate or whatever you want to call it. They're not your BFF. Why? Because no, you have no level playing ground. They're going to cause you to compromise because you're going to back off. Amen? You want to see that person come to the Lord? Live radically in front of them. Don't ever compromise who you are. Continue to talk about Jesus every time you have the opportunity. I'm going to tell you right now, my best friends in the world will tell you right now, they are, they are living for the Lord today as a result of the fact that I made a decision that I was going to live out loud my Christianity in front of them. And I was not going to compromise. Made them hungry. My best friend, his name is Brian, he'll, he'll tell you that. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Amen? Let's move on. The last thing, number seven. The blood of Jesus brings us into his presence. Isaiah 1 and verse 18 says, Come now, let us reason together, saith Jehovah. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. I was driving down Nebraska Avenue the other day in Tampa. I came across a church. On the wall was a mural that I recognized. It's a picture. And the picture is of a man who is on his knees... And he's at the front door of a home. You can tell that on the outside it's snowy, it's rainy, it's cold, it's dreary. But because the door is open, you can see into the home and it's bright and it's warm and it's beautiful. Here this man is, is obviously been in the streets. He's obviously been out and about. And there was another man standing at the door. And he had his arm extended like this. And he was pulling the young the man up off of his feet and into the home. Behind him was another man. This man was really big and he was wearing all white. And he was holding his arms like this. And across his arms was a white robe. The man extending his arm was Jesus. I love this picture. The man behind him was the angel who was holding those white garments. Look, the word says that if you come to me, I will by no means cast you away. It brings us in. The blood of Jesus gives us access to the throne of God. The blood of Jesus gives us access to the right hand of God. The greatest, the greatest, mightiest outpouring of God's power in the entire recorded in the word of God was when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Why? Because when he was raised, you were raised. When the head was raised, the body was raised. The Bible says that we are now seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Had it not been for the blood, you would not have that access. 
Had it not been for the blood, we would have to go year by year making sacrifices with blood, the blood of bulls and goats. But we have Jesus who went before the throne room of God with his own precious blood, and he poured that blood out. And because he poured that blood out on the mercy seat of heaven, now you and I, the word of the Lord says in Hebrews 4, it uh, it tells us that we can now come boldly to the throne of God in a time of need. The word, I'll I'll read it to you. It says, verse, uh, chapter 4 and verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in in the time of need. I have one last story I want to share with you. In the 14th century, there was a man named Robert Bruce of Scotland. He was leading his men into battle in order to gain independence from England. Near the end of the battle, the English wanted to capture him because they knew that if he won, he was going to take the crown. He was going to become the king. They wanted to stop that. So they did things to try to get to him. One of the things they did is they went and got his own hunting, his bloodhounds, his own dogs that knew his scent. And he had begun to kind of move around and maneuver from the Englishman. And they sent his own bloodhounds out to get him. His own men were freaking out. Why? Because they knew those dogs knew their master. Matter of fact, they would record times they'd hear the dogs baying. They would take off running again. All because they wanted to take him out. Bruce was okay with it. He noticed a stream off to the side. He took off running and he jumped into the water. He encouraged his men. They did the same thing and they began to walk through the water. A mile, two miles, miles up the river. His men did not understand. When they came out of the water, it was only within minutes they started hearing the barking of the dogs again. They thought, that's it, we're done. But something happened. The dogs came to the edge of the bank, sniffing. And they lost the scent. They could not smell him any longer. The moral, the long and short of the story is those men were able to get away freely. Bruce did become king. What's the moral? Why, why tell this story? The enemy is always looking. He knows your scent. He knows what you've done wrong and he's on your tail. But when I jump into the river, when I jump into the blood, As I said to you before, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Sinners plunge beneath that flood and lose their guilty stains. When I jump into the blood, the scent of my sin is lost. The devil has no more, no more, has no more of a hold on me any longer. But it doesn't stop there. Just like Bruce was crowned the king of Scotland. You and I have been given crowns. You and I have crowns waiting for us on the other side. You and I have a reward waiting for us on the other side. Blood is mentioned over 300 times in the Bible. Over 300 times blood is mentioned. We must, we must, we must, we must 
understand that the blood of Jesus Christ is the very heart of the gospel. It is the very heart of the gospel. It is who we are. It is what made us who we are today. Amen? And I'm going to say this to you tonight as I end, and we're going to pray. There will never be a time that you don't need the blood. There's never a time that we don't need the blood. We talked about the past month of relationships. Last week, we burned a lot of things to get rid of. We put it under the blood. Today, we, we have a fresh start because of Jesus Christ, a fresh start. What we must do is leave our past in the past. Keep the blood ever before us, ever on us, ever in us. Amen? I want everybody to bow your head.